Welcome everybody and thanks for being here today. My name is Matt Hewn and this is my good friend and colleague and co-writer David Warners. It's our pleasure to be here today and we thank the CEA for the invitation. Today we're going to let you know a little bit about a book that was recently published called Beyond Stewardship. So let's start with the introduction here. Here's a few things that we're going to be working on today. First, a little quick introduction. Then we want you all to help us understand what your general impressions of the idea of stewardship are. Then David will introduce the Beyond Stewardship book in more detail. I'll talk a little bit about teaching with the Beyond Stewardship book. And we'd like to hear again from you about how creation care activities work or don't work at your school and in the classroom. And then we'll wrap up. David and I have been talking for over a decade about how we need some fresh inspiration for how Christians understand our relationship to the non-human parts of the creation. And as we know, there are several alarming trends regarding the non-human parts of the creation. Probably a lot of several, several alarming trends regarding the human parts of the creation too, but we're talking about the non-human parts and our relationship to them today. The 2013 photo there shows Grand Haven after some regional flooding in West Michigan. The 2015 graph from the U.S. Geological Service shows human population growth and species extinction together. And we can see how they correlate with each other. One is crowding out the other. The 2017 graph shows global temperatures and atmospheric carbon dioxide concentration from the year 1000 to today. That was in 2017 and things have not improved since then. In 2018, the first warnings of a global insect apocalypse were sounded, and in 2019, reports showed that birds have been in steep decline. We've lost 30% of the North American songbirds since 1970. Today, we're going to tell you about a book and a project that was born out of the idea that something needs to change. And maybe the thing that needs to change is how we all think, Christians included, in addition to how we act. <coughs> Christians typically, or often in the past, have used the idea of stewardship to frame the discussions about how humans relate to the non-human world. But this, the word has a lot more meanings and more information in it than just that. So we'd like you guys to chatter amongst yourselves and answer these two questions. Where have you heard the term stewardship used? And how would you define the word stewardship? So let's try this. Let's get groups of three or four. And the rule is you can't be with someone in your group from the school that you teach at. Go.
have two more minutes, two more minutes, and then come up with a, a couple ideas for us. Thank you. You want to type it or do you want to shoot it? That's right. And then when that's done, then you go into things. So I'll come over here and make sure we get started again.
So in case you didn't hear back there, a couple of interesting pieces here. One is that these kinds of terms and ideas get passed on from one generation to the other. And I see a lot of nods because, hey, that's what we're all in the business of doing, isn't it? Passing these concepts and ideas down from one generation to the other. And then there was a second note there that said that stewardship, I'm just going to rephrase what you said a little bit, but stewardship might not be the only way that we can talk about a human relationship to non-human creation. Okay, uh, let's see, let's switch over to how would you define stewardship? Uh, you guys in the front here-ish. <laughs> I just said I was always brought up that it's what kind of answers both questions. Okay. Anyway, but uh, the use of resources that you were given could be money, could be the earth, the crops, responsibility. So it's responsible use of resources is the, the, the underlying truth of the idea of stewardship, and then it can be applied to different areas of life. What the resource of the world could be a lot of. Yep. The particular resource could be different in different contexts or whatever. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, front here. Uh, well, how would you define stewardship? Um, we did mention that sometimes um, that the concepts we're thinking of in like the creation stories, like sometimes the translation is more like dominion, and that gets kind of the wrong idea, we think. Um, of being more like caretakers, not like just rule over. We have these resources and we can use them. Like, no, there's more to it than just using it up. Okay, so if you could hear that in the back, hear that in the back. One of the uh, things that came up here is how do we think about stewardship? And one of the ways we think about stewardship is dominion. And maybe they're, they're thinking over here was maybe that's not really what we really want to be after. So that's an interesting, interesting angle on it. Excellent. Okay, the group that's kind of right there-ish. Go ahead. We talked a lot about um, the same thing. We talked about seeing what God has given us. Um, responsible for this world. Yep. So another group that talked about responsible use of whatever God has provided for us. Excellent. Um, let's see, maybe one more. Let's see, can I go back to the back uh, corner there? Defining stewardship. How did you guys talk about defining stewardship in the back? while the owner is away is a strong feature of the idea of stewardship. Yeah. Okay, to sum up, I would say that most of the, so yes to all of it, absolutely. So first thing, yes to everything. And those features that some groups talk about where there's a question about are we really just managers and is it really ours or God's or how does that relationship go with resources and should we be thinking about the planet as just a resource those are the kind of things that drove us to write Beyond Stewardship and the next thing we're going to do here is David is going to talk a little bit uh, about the book and then uh, I'll talk about maybe teaching with it and then we'll have another breakout session in a little bit
you should be able to just go forward right from there, David. Thank you for those contributions. Um, your, um, your comments reflect a lot of the things I wanted to pull out, so uh, you'll, you'll hear some repetition. Don't your mask right. Not used to doing that. Calvin, you keep them on pretty much all the time. Liberating. Um, so this is a book that uh, we pulled together, and we think that it can be useful to you all who have concerns uh, about uh, some of these trends that Matt highlighted at the start. Uh, they may be useful in church small group studies, but we also think that uh, there's potential here to use this in uh, high school classrooms, depending on what you teach. Uh, there are a lot of different emphases throughout this book, and we we've pretty much forced everybody, all the chapter authors, to write at a 12th grade level. Um, we shot for 10th grade, but we let go a little bit. It was very, very hard for some of our authors to write at that level, but that was a really important thing for us. We want this. We wanted this contribution to be accessible um, to younger people and to a lay audience. So the book is called Beyond Stewardship, so what's the problem with stewardship? Uh, let me just highlight a couple limitations. We, in the book, in the introduction, we, uh, we trot out what we think are the major limitations of this model. I mean, no model is perfect, ever. And so, um, but I think increasingly some of the limitations of the idea of stewardship are, are um, increasingly problematic. And then in chapter six, one of our authors also details some of the limitations. I think the, the classic idea, at least for me, uh, when I was raised uh, and to think about this idea comes from Matthew 20, in the parable of the steward of the vineyard. Uh, sometimes the steward there is, that's translated as a tenant, sometimes it's, trans sometimes it's translated as the, um, the overseer, but the important point here is that um, the person who is the steward is not the owner. There's an owner to this vineyard, and the owner is away, and he sets up the steward to take care of that valuable resource that he owns. Uh, right away, uh, I think there's some problems here. Uh, one is that if we are asked to steward the creation the way this uh, tenant was asked to steward the vineyard, uh, another theme in Reformed Christianity, anyway, is that God is present in the creation. He's not away someplace. He's here. And we can actually be drawn close to him when we spend time out in the creation. Uh, and we can learn about God from studying the creation and paying attention to it. Uh, there's some beautiful writings from Calvin and from uh, Kuiper about uh, the presence of the Spirit, of God's Spirit in the creation. So there's one limitation. Another one that maybe is a little more subtle, is it sets up this, this dualistic notion of us and them. Right? That we have stewards, and then we have the thing that needs to be stewarded. All right? We need to take care of that. And what it does is it underemphasizes, under it doesn't get recognized that we are part of that. All right? We are nature. We are creation. And, um, and we're, we're dependent so much on the welfare of creation. So we can't have healthy people if you don't have a healthy environment. It just doesn't work because we are so much a part of God's good creation. Um, and just one other thing I'll quick mention is that the steward was asked to steward, um, to steward the vineyard. Uh, he wasn't asked to steward the birds that might be there or the, um, or the grasshoppers or the uh, soil uh, microbes or anything like that. 
asked to steward something that has monetary value. And that's not what we've been asked to do as Christians with the creation either. Uh, all of it is under God's uh, loving care. And all of it is what he would like to see protected and preserved. And then, as we saw here, um, when you start using the word stewardship, this is just a Google image uh, search for the word stewardship. And this is one of the images that came up. And it's kind of like, where's Waldo? If you're looking for creation, there it is. Um, you can have a lot of crosstalk if you use the word, because different, it will mean different things to different people, and uh, can lead to a lot of confusion. Um, some of these limitations are summarized pretty nicely by the person who wrote the foreword to this book named Bill McKibben. He's an environmental activist and author. And Bill writes, as the authors of this book point out, stewardship is a limited idea, suggesting at best a dutiful sense of earnest commitment. For some reason, the word always gives me the nagging sense that it's time again to mow the lawn. It is not particularly joyful. It misses the gospel call to love. Oh, and beyond that, it clearly isn't working. I want to spend just a couple minutes talking about where did this idea come from? The first use of the word stewardship in the church came after the uh, Revolutionary War. We're here in this country, we had a separation of church and state. And now churches had to start to raise their own money. And so the, the initial use of this word was with tithing and a financial, a financial meaning, which many of you brought up. Uh, so you are accurate historically in that assessment. Right? That's the, the earliest use of it. Uh, it. There was an expansion a little bit in sort of the economic boom after World War II. And then stewardship became increasingly used. Uh, and maybe you've heard this phrase, time, talent, and treasure. So it's not just money to give to the church, but let's give up our time. And uh, let's give up our gifts, our abilities. And I think that's pretty much... Uh, the understanding that most people have um, until um, a little more recently. In 1967, there was a real important paper published by Lynn White Jr. Uh, from UCLA in which he pretty much lays the blame for our environmental problems at the feet of Judeo-Christian teachings and says this notion of dominion that was brought up earlier is the reason why we've got all this pollution going on and why we've lost so many rainforests and all, all of this. Those problems, um, the culprit are those Christians uh, and the Jews and the teaching of, from the Bible. And um, there, was, there was a lot of re reaction to uh, Lynn White's paper, initially mostly in sort of theological circles. And uh, one of the responses that emerged was, you know, there may be some credibility to that, and yet, it's not just Christian teachings, because Christian teachings are much more than dominion, which was um, spoken here earlier. All right. We have Genesis 2.15 as well as Genesis 1.26. 2.15 talks about tending and keeping the garden, and lots of other beautiful writings in the Old Testament. Uh, so uh, that was largely a theological sort of back and forth until the first project that was funded by the Calvin Center for Christian Scholarship, which was which resulted in this book, Earthkeeping, edited by Lauren Wilkinson. And here, they, these guys got together and they took this idea of Christian environmental stewardship and, and pretty much introduced it to the church, saying that this is the way we ought to think about our relationship to the broader creation. And it was a wonderful um, a, a contribution that I think uh, benefited the church uh, immensely. 
Um, in the 1990s, uh, they came out with an up update of that book, so Earthkeeping in the 90s. Notice the subtitle change from Christian stewardship of natural resources to stewardship of creation. Uh, natural resources connotes a use, and so I think that in the update is broader, not just taking good care of those things that we use. It's also interesting that both these books are entitled Earthkeeping, but they really don't unpack that term. They're really talking the whole time about stewardship. And um, earthkeeping is, is another way that brings up different ideas than stewardship. But even though the books were titled Earthkeeping, they're all about this concept of stewardship. Now, um, Earthkeeping in the 90s was in 1991, which was quite a while ago. Right? In the meantime, um, lots of things have been happening. And I... You know, for myself, I, my attention gets caught a lot of times in church when we're singing songs. Uh, some of these are from my own church. The whole earth is filled with his glory. All I work shall praise thy name. With all creation I sing praise to the king of kings. This is my father's world. Beautiful, beautiful songs talking about uh, the whole creation and this really wonderful image of harmony. Uh, we also have beautiful passages from scripture the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Your works are wonderful, O Lord. I know that full well. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Uh, the last one, Psalm 150, I've been thinking lately that you know, maybe, maybe we should read that with sort of an angry tone to it. Maybe it's the psalmist saying, let everything that has breath praise me. You're not doing it. You're getting in the way. Um, let everything. Don't get in the way. Anyway, we have all this wonderful liturgy. We have all this wonderful scripture and songs. And yet we're experiencing those trends that Matt showed you at the start. All of these, these graphs are going in disturbing directions. Um, so creation's groans are intensifying. So it seems to us that it's time for some fresh thinking. It's been 30 years. And it seemed to a lot of our colleagues that it's time for fresh thinking. So we pulled together a bunch of people uh, from multi, uh, a, a multidisciplinary group. These are friends of ours. We've had conversations over coffee, over lunch, whatever. And we have sort of this common frustration that the church is not as involved as we would like to see it. Uh, common frustration with our thinking doesn't seem to be as far along as we'd like it to be. And so we convened uh, this group. In the summer of 2018, we got them together for three weeks at the start of the summer and uh, did some activities together, started to build a little bit of trust. Uh, they shared some ideas. Each of the chapters starts out with a story. So in those first three weeks, we, we asked, first three days, I'm sorry, it wasn't three weeks. Um, first three days, we asked them to come up with a story that they wanted to lead their chapter off with and sort of a general outline. And then we sent them off for the summer and they came back at the end of the summer for three more days with a draft of their chapter and we had what we call the edit fest, where they edited each other's chapters and gave each other feedback. So they took all that feedback and then submitted to Matt and myself chapters uh, in the fall, and we pulled it together into this book. So these are some new ideas, uh, thinking beyond stewardship. Uh, some of the authors thought stewardship is all right, we just need a, a deeper understanding of it. Some authors thought we've got to get rid of the word. And we need new words. Uh, it is not sort of the answer now. It opens up a lot of possibilities, a lot of different ways of thinking about our relationship to the creation. 
Um, so some of the themes. Uh, Matt leads out this uh, book with an allegory set at the Calvin Engineering Open House in May of each year. And he uses a hypothetical speech uh, that he envisions giving to the students at this event uh, to ask how the engineering students would feel if he had come in the night before with a big sledgehammer and crashed all of their projects that they've been working on for a whole year. And he uses that visceral image to lead a discussion about lament. Talks about the lament of the prototypes because they can't do what they were created to do. A lament for the students who worked so hard at generating those prototypes. And then also a lament for, a lament for himself as the destroyer when he saw what he had done and all the sadness he had caused. So he says, we sit between the way the creation is, which is damaged, and the way the creation ought to be, which is flourishing, and we don't know what to do. Beyond Stewardship is a book for Christians who are distraught by the lament of the maker and compelled by the lament of the creation. It is for those who recognize their role as destroyer and find themselves on a path through lament to forgiveness, improved relationships, and recommitment to, the, to repair the damage they have done in the past and to do less harm in the future. So this theme of lament comes up in multiple chapters. Another one is humility. Uh, Jamie Skillen uh, from the geology department includes a story of the U.S. Forest Service. At their founding, they had the best intentions for developing a sustained yield forestry management policy. But even with the best intentions and the best available science, they couldn't get it right. Fire suppression policies being just one of the problems that emerged. Humans have limited knowledge. We're smart, but we're not all that smart. We are finite. And Jamie says, Christians who want to live in ways that promote the integrity, stability, and beauty of the creation face these frustrating limits. We buy products from around the world, and these products have positive and negative impacts on God's creation. At the same time, we can never have complete knowledge of these impacts, and therefore we can never make fully informed decisions. We are and always will be finite creatures, which necessitates that we are careful about the way we interact with the creation. Uh, we're all complicit. Amina Alatas Radford, who is a PhD student at Duke uh, Divinity School right now, uh, uses microbes to encourage humility, which is a much better posture for creation care than dominion. Uh, humility reduces our tendency to objectify the non-human creation. Uh, it brings us down a few notches when we recognize how dependent we are on other creatures, even these microscopic creatures that are inhabiting our bodies inside and out. So she uses microbes in the human microbiome to decenter humanity. She writes, discoveries of humanity's intimate entanglement with microbial life complicate the theological idea that we are separate from and superior to the rest of creation. How superior to animals can we be if we depend on them to be ourselves? And when we understand that matter matters for redemption, caring for the creation becomes a mutual stewardship wherein we acknowledge that the flesh that supports our biological and spiritual renewal needs us to return the favor. We move beyond mere stewardship to symbiotic stewardship as we embrace our creaturely dependence. That's just one of the books we've used at Calvin uh, to help to educate students about the importance of the human microbiome. Just some really fascinating work that's been happening in the last uh, several years. Some other things that come up, uh, Clarence Jolersma, uh, Educational philosophy professor writes, uh, really explores the idea of people being earthlings. 
and some of the significance there. Steve Baumacrediger uh, talks about earthkeeping is a more uh, helpful concept than stewardship. Jamie Skillen writes about thinking more in terms of the kingdom of God. Uh, Dieter Bauma is uh, someone who wrote, uh, calls to, to attention the fact that not everybody has agency to be stewards. Many people in the world don't have that capacity uh, because of their poverty. And so uh, being a steward is not something that we all can enjoy uh, doing. And then Mark Bielen, who's an urban geographer, uh, emphasizes uh, that we need to take care of our urban places too. And usually if people talk about stewardship, they're thinking about mountains or rivers. They're not thinking about urban neighborhoods. And so he likes the idea of placekeeping a lot better than stewardship. All right, so we think that this book has potential to help you in some of your teaching. Uh, and so Matt's going to go through a little bit of that now. Thank you, David. So using Beyond Stewardship to Teach, Creation Care. The thing that, if, if, you're, if your interest is piqued by what David said, one thing that you should, meet, you should know is that we have quite a few resources to assist with teaching uh, Beyond Stewardship in the classroom or in, say, church uh, groups or Sunday school classes, some things like that. And I want to talk through a few of those resources for you today, just to give you a flavor of what's, what's here. The first thing is at the back of the book, we have discussion questions for every chapter. Those discussion questions can help uh, kickstart conversations with students, with colleagues. They're not the end of the things that you could discuss in the book, uh, with the book, but they might be a good starting place for you to think about how to structure a discussion. Dave and I are incredibly modern, and we have a podcast. <laughs> I happen to love the medium of podcasts, so I was keen to give this a try, and uh, we built a podcast. We each interviewed six of the other authors. There are 12 authors total, 12, 12 chapters. We each interviewed six of the other authors um, to, to have every chapter covered. And we also recorded an introductory episode where we asked each other questions and had a conversation about the genesis of the project and the idea in the book. In those conversations, there's discussions about the, ch the chapter author's motivations and how they came to write their chapters. It's a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. And if any of you have ever been involved in a writing project or if you are interested you, you feel your ears perk up when you hear interviews on the radio with authors. This is the kind of sense that we were trying to, to go for. We also ask the authors to read their own work. I always find that fascinating, to hear a segment of a chapter of a book re, uh, read in the author's own voice. So you can search for Beyond Stewardship in iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, as far as we know. It's everywhere where you would find a podcast. Next, we have a companion website that we built for the book. It illustrates each chapter with images that were selected by the authors and selected pull quotes from each chapter. And this provides a visual way to experience the chapters that's different from just reading the book, and it provides a visual way to see the themes of Beyond Stewardship illustrated. Now, if this works, 
Oh, there's the podcast, right, on Anchor. Okay, you see all the chapters there, so it shows that it's real. Um, and then, let's see, wait a minute. Let's go here. Here is what the uh, companion website looks like. So, um, nope, not that. We're incredibly technological. Yep, we're working this hard here. Um, well, it's not showing up, so we're just going to give that a miss and pretend that we... You guys can work that in your presentation and talk about how technology Yeah, there we go. Not very well right now is the answer. <laughs> in addition, David spoke to a class at Calvin University that was part of what we call the Artist Collaborative, which is a a way to uh, a, a cohort of students that are interested in the arts and they work their way through the university curriculum. Three of the students, of course they need to have a project to do, and three of the students were inspired by David's talk and they wrote a children's book. Um, Hannah, Gabby, and Leah wrote a children's book called No More Room. They're lovely illustrations and a delightful rhyme and that might be an interesting way to incorporate beyond stewardship in some of your teaching and some of your discussions with other people. There is a website that brings all of this material together and it's just beyondstewardship.com. So if you go visit that website you can see uh, these, kind of, these resources there. What might this look like in the high school setting? David and I are not high school teachers but we want to throw a few ideas your way and see if maybe some of them will stick. The first thing to say is that environmental sustainability is a huge problem and we really need all hands on deck at all levels. So the No More Room book might be a good starting place there. It is written at a 12th grade reading level so some of your first year students, and, and, and some of the chapters are written even less than that. I think, I think Deborah and I uh, took the cake, our reading level is 10th grade. So, I mean, you know, we, we tried really, really hard to make it accessible, like David said earlier. Anyway, Deborah Reedstra's chapter is about an abused dog and the importance of naming and knowing the names of things in the creation. And we think that might be a really interesting hook for some students, especially younger high school students, into this topic of creation care. If you teach a religion class, Kathy Grunendijk's chapter uh, talks a lot about how important it is to know your audience based on a story of her, uh, her husband, who is a preacher, and how he was able to incorporate creation care and sustainability ideas into some of his sermons in a congregation that he was uh, temporarily pastoring who weren't otherwise very open to such ideas. Kyle Mayard Scott talks about kinship maybe being a better metaphor for our relationship to the non-human creation. And that might be a way to explore what, how relationships get formed, the words we use to talk about them. That might be an interesting chapter to, to use for, for you. And then I have to toot my friend's horn here. David's uh, chapter, the last chapter, is, uh, is called Walking in a World of Gifts. Through a World of Gifts. And he talks about how the world is full of gifts. He talks about gift-giving cultures and how they think about the world around them in a different way and how that might be helpful 
for us as we think about the non-human creation. If you are interested in sociology or teaching a sociology class or you have justice issues in your class, Gail Hefner's chapter talks about environmental racism. And she tells a story about seeing a grandfather and a grandson in a predominantly African-American neighborhood fishing in the most polluted river in West Michigan. And what do you do? Right? This is a tender moment between a grandfather and a grandson, but what they pull out of the water is going to be dangerous to them. What do you do? So environmental racism is a key component of Gail's chapter. She also talks about Lynn White Jr.'s book. Interesting that she brought that in as well. And then if you are in history class, Becky Haney's chapter talks about water in the West. Talks about relationships between Native Americans and the, Amer the U.S. government. Finally, one more thing to say is that the new Calvin Core is using the Beyond Stewardship book for first-year students, so we think it's really hitting that 12th grade, 13th grade uh, spot quite nicely. All right, I think we are just perfectly on time for where we wanted to be. And David, uh, I think that wraps up maybe the way we could use this book in, in, in education settings. And David has the task of setting up the second breakout session. So David, over to you. All right, so we're going to let you talk for a little bit longer, about 10 minutes, and then have five minutes to come back. What we'd like you to do is reform your groups and um, talk through these questions. What creation care activities worked well in your school? And what has not worked well? And again, let's not have people from the same school together. All right, so let's uh, really um, disseminate what's going on in these different schools. And uh, what creation care ideas work well in your classroom? What have you tried in your classroom that has worked well? Or what has not worked well that you've tried? And then what ideas do you have for future creation care initiatives at your school? What would you really like to see uh, happen in the, in the next couple years? And also, what is one idea that you will bring back to your classroom, to your school, uh, from thinking about this and hearing ideas from other people? So there's your, uh, your marching orders for the next 10 minutes. Uh, talk through those, and then we'll hear some ideas from, from the different groups.
in about a minute. We'll pull you all back together. Last month, 
was the equivalent of, I don't know, you know some huge amount that, that would fit in University of Michigan's football stadium or something like that. Um, I think that kind of feedback is helpful as well if you can generate that. But it takes it takes vigilance. It's not just a button you push once and then, okay, we got that covered. Uh, we gotta keep at it, right? Uh, we gotta keep at it. Good. Um, how about classroom? Let's shift to classrooms. Things that you've tried just on your own that have worked or have not worked, or some ideas that you think you'd like to try. we've been using here is our relationship to the creation. Relationships, they, you got to invest in them. They take time. And so, um, yeah, spending time with the kids outdoors for sure. Yeah, so we have, we all have outdoor classrooms at our school, um, which has been really awesome to yeah. kind of develop those. And we'll take walks around like the trails through our little prairie areas. And our, one of the things we say at school is to slow down and see the world. And trying to teach kindergartners who are just rushing through all of their life all the time to just slow down and like I was walking really slowly through this trail with one of the first weeks of school and they were kind of annoyed. They said, I want you to look at all the plants. And the kids were like seeing the bees and they were seeing different colors that they wouldn't have seen before. And because I was like, again, like pointing those things out and being like, well, look, what do we see over here? Do you see anything over here? Like, they were more invested in it, and then when we went back and started writing about what we saw, they were excited to put down and draw the picture of what they saw and then try to record it. So it, it matters. I wish I had, we had scheduled more time for this. These are really good ideas, but I also want to respect 
um, the hour and um, give Matt a couple minutes to do a little wrap up. So thanks a lot for everybody's contributions. And I uh, wish uh, we could hear more of them. Yeah, I want to say thanks, too. This has been a fun session. Didn't know what to expect coming here today. And I'm really grateful for the time that we were able to spend with you today. I find it absolutely fascinating that some of the things that David talked about in terms of the history of the term stewardship showed up in the comments that you guys shared even before we went into the book. That just shows the importance of history, the importance of evolution of terms and so forth. And we all live in that even when we don't recognize it. So taking a step back to think about what the words we use mean and how we use those words, you know, what, what that tells us as well, those are really important things to do and a great exercise, a great activity for, fa uh, for professional development day. So I'm really glad you were here. Let me just end with one. See, I'm an engineer and I can't help but go to one more graph besides this one, these ones. This is a graph from the latest Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report that was released a couple of weeks ago. The vertical axis is uh, uh, temperature increase since 1850, and scientists think that 1.5 degrees C is the point at which we are going to have irreversible effects of climate change. Now, I know that there are plenty more sustainability and creation care issues besides climate change, but I just want to use this as an example right now. If you follow that line over to the, over to the, uh, follow 1.5 over to this line here and go down on the horizontal axis, which is the cumulative CO2 emissions since 1850, and then you follow that down to the secondary x-axis, you get to 2030. We are going to hit Irreversible effects of climate change with business as usual, nothing changing in less than 10 years. Let's think about it this way. Somebody who today is a freshman in high school, when they graduate university, we're there unless we change, unless things change. Our environmental issues are no longer things that are going to happen in the future. They're things that are happening now. And the work that you all do to expose students to the joy and the beauty of the non-human creation, the work that you do to expose students to the challenges of our relationship to that creation and the ways that it's already degraded is super important kingdom work, and I encourage you to keep doing it. Don't give up and keep exploring these things with your students. It's what we all need to be doing. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks. We have some books. Oh, shucks, sorry. We have 12 books. I get so fired up about this stuff that I've got to We have 12 books here in front. If there's maybe one person from each school that can pick one up, at least for the beginning. And if you want a couple more after that, if there's some left, I'd be happy to let you have them. Two rules. We've got to give them away. We don't want to take them home. So come on up and get them.